It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Brian Preston. And what we're going to be talking about today here on The Money Guy Show, where we go beyond common sense and restore order to your financial chaos, is year-end cleanup. And what I mean by year-end cleanup is what are we thinking about typically as we close out a year? I know in the Preston household, we're typically thinking about, hey, taxes, let's minimize some taxes because nobody likes paying the man, Uncle Sam, more than he's entitled to. And then, of course, we're thinking about with the holiday cheer and everything else, let's um, get all that holiday shopping done. So I want to share both of those things with you and, and kind of put it in the informal, fun way that the, the Money Guy show does. Now, l- let me give you an intro on, give you a little background. If you want to go check out the show notes for the show, you can go to money-guy.com. Also, if you want to email me directly, you can write me at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. And just for you guys who are first-time listeners, because we're constantly picking up new listeners, my background is is that I started doing this podcast as a hobby, and it's kind of my own little Frankenstein that has grown into... Um, a show where a lot of you rely upon it for, for advice, and I've kind of gotten the reward out of it that I've, I've made some relationships, made some friends, and plus I get the benefit of just hearing how we've impacted your life. And for that, I want to thank you guys. We've always had some nice placement on iTunes, and that's a lot to do with you. And in my day job, I'm actually a fee-only wealth manager down here on the south side of Atlanta. I'm a member of NAPFA, which is the fee-only financial planning organization. And then my training is I'm a certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and then a personal financial specialist, which just means I'm a CPA that does financial planning. We also have with us, of course, his second show with The Money Guy that I've given him a live mic, is they've got my associate here at Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management, Bo Hansen. Bo, you want to give your give a shout-out? Uh, I just want to say, hey, Money Guy listeners, I'm, I'm right here again this week. So, okay, let's jump in. First of all, before we jump into this year-end cleanup, I want to kind of talk about the Black Friday. Um, you know, that was what the last show topic was about, and it really is one of my favorite times of the year. I think people really think that I make up my excitement about that, but it, Bo can probably give you some insight that I really do get as excited as I, I sound like I do about Black Friday. I actually had um, that new application, the TGIBlackFriday.com TGI um, on my iPhone. I had made all these shopping lists, and I was at the Walmart that was by my house by 4.20 in the morning. And I thought I was going to be one of the few people that had decided, because this is the first year I've ever done the Walmart Black Friday and I can tell you, I was not the only one. The parking lot was actually already full to where you had to park in the in the far, far side away from the building. And they were out of shopping carts. That shows you how full the place was at 420 when I got there in the parking lot. And um, I waited in line, got my PlayStation 3 bundle for the family. So I was pretty excited, uh, even though it was kind of chaotic. I also ended up going over to Staples, went to Target, went to Radio Shack, um, we were we were all over the place that morning, and um, I, I had a good time. Plus, there were some great online deals. Um, hopefully, you guys saw that Roku, who does that Netflix player, had a great deal that came out, essentially a half-price player. There There's a lot of opportunities. Plus, I noticed a unique thing that we're going to be talking about in the shopping um, is Bing.com had some type of relationship with a lot of the the brick-and-mortar retailers that I have never seen before. Bing.com was offering through Walmart 15% off 
essentially 15% cash back on anything you bought on their site. Also, HP Direct, which normally with Bing.com is about a 5% rebate. They were giving 20% back on, on the Black Friday special. So there was a lot of opportunities and a lot of sales out there um, that I had not seen before, especially for the Cyber Monday that followed, which was this past Monday. So hopefully you guys got out there and got to enjoy some of that, that fun and get the great deals that this down economy has led to a lot of retailers really just loading you up with, with opportunities. And, you know, that's what that PlayStation is price controlled but what was great about what and i talked about this in the last show is that they offered bundles where we got some free games some free movies and um i just feel like i I really kind of as i've always said stretch that dollar as far as you possibly can so with that um bo did you did you do any black friday shopping uh i did a little bit but I, i did everything online i didn't um I was willing to pay a little bit of a premium not to have to go fight millions of people at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning. Fighting actually is kind of literal because there was, um, what was funny, what was very interesting to me is that there actually were quite a number of police officers at the Walmart and um, even saw them escort some people out because some people were getting unruly, especially over the DS lights that they were selling um, way below market typically. I mean, they went below $100, which is a pretty good deal. But let's let's jump in and actually talk about some of them. these financial concepts. And, you know, one of the big ones, and you see these all over when you go to Yahoo or MSN or any of the other websites right now, they close out the year and they always are offering these websites on the five tax things you need to be doing right now. And they'll typically tell you the things like, you know, look and see if you can, um, you know, make your charitable contributions or, you know, make an extra mortgage payment, clean out the closet, that type of stuff, and I completely agree with all that. You know, you can play around with your income and figure out if it's better for this year or next year for some bonuses if your employer lets you. That stuff, I consider that kind of common sense type things. I want to go a little deeper than that, kind of like we always do here at the Money Guy Show, and, and tell you some of the, the planning strategies that we've been dealing with here with our firm and some of our, some of our wealth management clients and kind of let you see if you can if any of these are beneficial to you and one of them now i talked about this i did a whole podcast on this last year and i didn't do it this year i didn't do a full podcast because i didn't think it was going to benefit as many people but i still think it's worth a, a reminder is harvesting losses now when i say harvesting losses this was a much easier concept in 2008 when everybody when the market was down 37 percent, the s p 500 was down 37 percent with dividends it was very easy to look at your portfolio portfolio and say hey I've got some losses in that mutual fund. Let's go ahead and sell that, lock in that loss, buy something immediately with the proceeds. It's very similar. So you sell like one large cap you know, mutual fund and buy another large cap mutual fund. You lock in that loss. You get to take the $3,000 off your taxes, and then you get to carry forward the rest offset future gains. It was very easy. Well, this year we've had a much better year. The stock market is, has had a, a nice run back but i will tell you i think a lot of people who maybe didn't have the money guy that they were listening to last year you might still have 10 to 15 percent in certain mutual funds that you have losses and there and and there might be some alternative mutual funds that are just as good if not even better that you could go ahead and sell right now before year end closes out lock in that loss as long as there's no transaction fees or anything else that, that might be going on and then you go ahead and buy something very equivalent or even better um, maybe it's the best time to do the reallocation, and then you can go ahead and have that loss locked in. So I, I want to make sure that you take advantage of the the, the harvesting of losses. Um, another thing that we want to talk about 
is beware of new purchases. And this is not as big of a deal as it typically typically is, but it's still something I want you to be aware of because I'd feel very guilty if you're doing this reallocation right now and then you go and buy a brand new mutual fund with some cash or something else that you decide you want to reallocate out of. And then as soon as you did that, you had a 2% capital gain or dividend distribution from the mutual fund company. You would be paying taxes on something you really weren't there to enjoy um, the benefit of because they lower the price of the mutual fund, so all that you end up doing is paying the tax on it without really too much benefit from it. So make sure when you're buying any new purchases into mutual funds here in the month of December that you go online and before you buy it and research when they're going to um, make their dividend payment and figure out when their ex-dividend date is so you can avoid buying right before they make their payouts because um, that, that's not going to be that big of a deal this year because we've actually done for our firm planning, we've called around to the mutual fund companies that we use here at the firm with our, our wealth management clients. And it appears that this year uh, most distributions are going to be below 2%. A lot of them are actually below 1%. Isn't that true, Bo? Yeah, I'm actually looking at our sheet right now, and it looks like the highest paying are 2.4% are out of all of our holdings, and then most of them fall right between you know 50 basis points and 1.5. Yeah, so see, you know, if, if it, that's not enough, you still probably don't want to buy right before you get a 2% payout, but it's not going to change your financial life. Um, and it's also not going to be something that you need to do a ton of planning with like you have in the past. Because there's been some years, you know, last year was one of them where you had the double whammy where mutual funds had lost money, plus they had big capital gain distributions because they had had a good run from 2003 all the way to the end of 2007. So it's kind of a double whammy to go ahead and lose some of your principal that you just invested plus to have capital gain distributions. You needed to pay attention to it. But now that we're we're, we're coming out of this bad market or – it appears we're coming out of this bad market. Um, you, you you just want to be cognitive of what's going on with those capital gain distributions. This is advice also that I think is going to flow into future years too. You will get into a habit if you're looking at your year-end cleanup. I, I want you to look at all these things: harvest losses, you know, capital gain analysis, and and things like that. These are things you need to be thinking about, not just on a 2009 basis, but on an annual basis. And you might even—I know there's a lot of you guys out there that um that are just as geeky about this financial stuff as we are and you might even want to create yourself the a spreadsheet take your you know put your mutual fund holdings in there go on the website look up those capital gain and dividend distributions and maybe you want to track and see the history of what these things are you know what these fund companies are doing on a year to year basis so you can kind of understand their behavior and 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 know what's going on with your personal finances i will also tell you that's a good segue and to give you a hint it's something that I have found to be very fun to do, um, and it's actually very educational as well. On a personal basis, I think everybody should create a net worth statement. I, uh, you know, I, I every year, January, I go in and update my net worth statement, um, including going on Kelly Blue Book and looking to see what my cars are worth, um, updating debt figures and everything else. And it's just very, very informative for me to go see what the change was from the previous year. And then you can even get into to really geekdom where you can start graphing stuff and creating all kind of other things. But it kind of gives you a snapshot on how good that year was financially. And um, I, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed cre- updating the net worth statement every year where it's almost one of those things, just like I tell you, I get excited about Black Friday. I also get excited about the first week in January when I can go update. And that's why I can see if... Um, 
the benefits of that dollar cost averaging where I'm saving monthly, as well as the benefit of what's, what's what I think is really cool is that, the, you know, is when you're paying down debt. I love updating that mortgage number to see how much debt we paid off. And then this is the first year I'm going to have um, the, in about the last two to three years where I'm going to have no automobile debt anyway. Um, I think I exp- expressed to you guys in the past, I was in one of those great great type of situations where I had no debt whatsoever on any of my automobiles, but then um, drove them to the point that both of them essentially imploded upon and exploded upon themselves and broke down at about within about two weeks of each other. So we had to go out and buy some vehicles and um, we've got that under control in less than three years and completely paid off. And I'm excited about that because I'm hoping from now I'm to the point financially that I will never have a car payment again unless it's my own choosing because maybe economically there, there's something out there. But I don't. I really think I might be in a situation where I never have car debt again, which is a great feeling. You know, um, I, know I know Bo is getting pretty close to that that situation himself. He's got some um, money we're going to be talking about in a minute. The um, first time home buyer credit that um, Bo is is taking advantage of that this year, and, and he's hoping to to get all that debt paid off from from what he's told me. Um, but look at the net worth statement. I think that'd be a great great tool. And, um, Bo, maybe I shouldn't talk about this out loud, but, um, what do you think about on the premium section, putting in a, out there a blank Excel spreadsheet with, um, I think we could do that. I think that would be a pretty cool thing just to kind of help you see, see kind of the templates that the two of us use and maybe even modified to make it fit your situation a little bit better. Okay. I, doing this off the cuff, you know, this was not something that Bo and I talked about in the planning for the show today, but on the premium section, we're going to go ahead and put out there a, a, an Excel spreadsheet that you can go, you know, it's a basic outline of what we use for doing our own personal net worth statement. And you can go make any changes you want to because it's going to just be an Excel spreadsheet. We'll put that out there for you. Now, I'm not putting my net worth. I'm not putting Bo's net worth. Like I said, this is just going to be a blank net worth, but I think it would be a great tool for, for our premium members. Plus, we know we need to be, um, we, we need to get that updated for you. So we're going to get that out there. Um, let's move on. I want to talk about some more year-end tax planning. It's not really completely tax planning. It is and it isn't, but it's a it's an investment in a long-term financial planning um, opportunity that you can take advantage of. Is that Roth 2010 conversion. You've heard a lot of people talking about this. You're going to start seeing a lot of the financial publications are just really talking about this Roth 2010 conversion. And we want to give you some quick things to think about um, to figure out if this 2010 conversion, because you know what, and you say, well, wait a minute, some of you guys are going, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is that to convert a Roth IRA, I mean, a, a regular IRA over to a Roth or a qualified retirement plan, like a 401k into a Roth, um, up until now, if you made over $100,000, it was closed to you. You couldn't do it. Well, the, the opportunity they're providing to you next year is that you're going to, they're taking away all income provisions where it could, doesn't matter what you make. Um, you can make anything you want, um, and they're not going to put a cap on that. You still can do a Roth conversion. And then they're also giving you a one-time opportunity in the year of 2010 that you can actually spread that tax payment over two years as well. So there, there's some great planning opportunities there. But I want to warn you about a few things and give you a few things to think about. Um, first is you need to know what your total IRA balances are and if they have basis in them. You know, if, if all you if you have all your retirement savings are is you have 401ks or 403bs that are considered qualified money, and then you've been making you know four or five thousand dollars annual contributions to an IRA, a non-deductible traditional IRA, this is a no-brainer to you because. Your, your, all of your retirement assets are qualified assets except for that traditional IRA that has 
a high basis mark because they were non-deductible, you're going to be able to convert that thing for practically no tax implications because um, implications. I don't know if I added an extra syllable or what there. But implications. I don't know what that was, but it shouldn't have any um, tax implications because the market's been beat up here. Um, in the last few years, so you might not have much of a tax consequence. Now, where this gets a little weird on the IRA balances is, what if you've rolled over an IRA in the past? Um, you might not be able to, you know, plus you have traditional IRAs with, that are non-deductible. Your, deci your decision is not as black and white as that person who just has 401ks and 403bs and then a non-deductible non IRA sitting out there. Because the way this is going to go down, this is what I think a lot of people in the press and the financial press aren't covering that well, is probably because they don't completely understand it, is that you have to realize that they're going to make you allocate. When you do this conversion, if you have non if you have you know, a, a qualified plan that you rolled into a rollover IRA, and then you have non-deductible IRAs, you're going to have a, a big chunk of your assets that have no basis. That's the part that rolled over from the qualified plan. Then you have the non-deductible IRA that has probably pretty much no gain in it whatsoever. They don't let you just choose the non-deductible IRA, and then you just leave the rollover alone. They're going to make you, make you prorate how much the tax implications are. So that makes it a lot grayer and a lot harder to figure out. So there is an opportunity there that if you do have a large non-deductible IRA balance sitting out there, um, you, you know, maybe it works out for you that you want to roll that IRA back into, the, the rollover IRA back into a qualified plan, like a 401k or 403b, an employer active plan. You can do that, and then that way you can take away some of those tax implications. The only thing I'd warn you about that is remember, you then no longer have the ability to roll that money back out until you leave that employer. While you're an active participant, you can put that, it's kind of a one-way street. You can put that money in and make contributions from a previous plan, but you're not going to be able to take it out until you part services or retire. So, so think about that. There's a lot of things going on, but I still want to make sure I lay it out there for you. Also, on doing the 2010 conversion, got to make sure you have some outside cash. If you're going to be using um, money from the account to pay the taxes, I don't think it makes as much sense as if you have a, a chunk of cash sitting out there in savings and you can pay the taxes out of that and not touch the principal balance of the conversion. Uh, I would prefer to have that money come from outside sources than to be funded, the taxes to be funded from the actual mon money that you're converting. Um, you also need to look at what your tax rate is versus what your tax rates possibly could be in the future. And this is the part where it gets a little, you know, you have to make a decision on whether you think things are going to, to where we're going to have higher tax rates. And if you're in that, that crosshairs of where taxes are probably going to definitely be higher for you. And I will tell you, for families that that make probably over one seventy-five to over two hundred thousand in annual uh, per year uh, on your tax returns. I think you're definitely in the crosshairs of where your tax rates will go up. Um, it's kind of been laid out there because of Social Security, Medicare, and other government obligations that are going to come due within the next ten years. This got to be funded from somewhere. And the only place I can think that these things are going to be funded is from additional taxes. I just don't see government getting a lot smaller. So you need to be very cognitive of what's going on there and, and make sure that, you know, you're taking into account if you're in the crosshairs that the taxes are going to go up. So I, I would definitely pay attention to where, you know, your tax rates are right now. Maybe you're, you're in that 25% bracket. 
but you know in the next two, three years you're going to get a promotion or maybe a business is growing and things are going to go well for you, you might want to consider going ahead and locking in at that 25% rate um, you know, while you can. What, what that rate runs up to, I don't have my tax guy. Was it 162? What's that, what's that number? I, I think it's 167. Is it one? It might be one, 162. Might have been the 2008 number and the 2009. Or, I can't. It, anyway, it's right around that that 167. Here it is. We got it right here in the front. For 2009, the the 25% bracket goes. Oh, we were off. I'm glad we went and looked this up. 25% bracket goes up to 13750. That's for a married couple filing a joint return. So if you you know you might want to consider it, and then it's a no brainer. If you're in the 15% brackets, if you if you're married and your your income's less than 67,900 taxable income, that's not that's after deductions and other things. So that's not adjusted gross income. That's taxable income of 137.50 for the 25% bracket, and then 67,900 for the 15% bracket. That's after your exemptions and your deductions. Um, you can you can take advantage of those things, and and I would pay attention to it. And also. Remember the term tax diversification, just like we spread our assets out over many different asset classes, you want to do the same thing with your taxes. You don't want to convert everything into a Roth because there's still no guarantees. Uh, I mean, I'm a big advocate. I'm actually going to convert some of my assets next year. But I will tell you, there is a part of me in the back of my mind that's nervous. What happens in 2016, 2017 when the government has all these obligations that come due? Are they still not going to look at that big pot of money that's sitting out there in Roth assets and go, Ooh, those sure do look tasty to add to the tax base. That would be nice to, to pick that, that those assets up. I don't think that they can go out and immediately make them completely taxable, but I do think down the road you could see an opportunity for the government to say whatever your value is as of this date is your tax basis, and anything else you make from this day forward is going to be taxable. I could see that coming. So I wouldn't go put all my eggs into the Roth IRAs or these Roth conversions, but I, I think it is something that if you're in the 15 25% bracket, you probably want to play ball and, and maybe consider locking in those things, especially if you know your income is going up substantially in the coming years. And then you also need to think about how many years to accumulate you have versus years to distribute. And if you're a young person, this makes a lot more sense than um, if you're an older person. Um, even though Roth IRAs are great, the fact that they don't have required minimum distributions like normal IRAs, you still need to take into account how long you have to distribute those assets or save with those assets. And I'm telling you, I still think it's a young man's game to do a lot of this stuff. Bo, anything else you want to add on, on some of these tax things before I get into the first-time homebuyer's credit and some of this other stuff? The, the one thing that I would say is when you're, when you're going in and looking at this kind of year-end tax planning, a phrase that we always use at this firm is don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog, meaning that if you're going through and harvesting losses, maybe you have a commodity fund that didn't do so good in 2009, but there's a really good manager in it. Don't, don't sell that just to get the tax benefit because you may be losing out uh, on foregone potential. And same thing with this 2010 conversion. Don't, don't pay $100,000 in taxes now to save $1,000 20 years from now. That, that may not make the most sense in the world. So be sure you kind of look at this from a total long-term, big-picture perspective before you make some of these decisions. Right, and, and I think that's a good point. Well, I want to kind of move on and shift gears. This is still a tax issue, but it, I, I, wanted, I had an email just last week from another CPA that was talking about that he hasn't heard a lot of discussion about the, the current, you know, the tax credit. Remember last year they had that, the, 
the tax benefit, well, it actually goes back even further, that they actually had, um, it was essentially like an interest-free loan. The government came in and said for all first-time home buyer purchases, um, I don't know if I said that, that I've got a head cold once again, so if my voice sounds a little weird, but for first-time home buyers, they were going to allow you to essentially have an interest-free loan that you're going to pay out over a few years. They will give you a credit, but then you're going to have to pay it back over a few years on your tax return. Well, then they changed it last year to where it was basically going to just be, well, it was. It was not basically. It was an $8,000 credit for first-time home buyers who made, you know, who made below a certain income level. You could, if you bought a new home, they would give you an $8,000 tax credit. Well, that has come, it was supposed to come to a close. Well, they they have extended it now. They passed new legislation, and this thing is called the Worker Homeownership and Business Assistance Act of 2009. And this came, um, this was a press release that came out on November 24th, um, where the, the lawmakers did extend it through from November 30th, 2009, all the way through April 30th of 2010, where it's still that $8,000 for first time home buyers. But then they've also added, for those who, they call it the long-time resident credit, for those people who lived in their house for at least five years, don't qualify for the first-time home buyer, they can qualify for their $6,500 to go out and buy another primary residence. So that, that's, a, that's a, another opportunity I just want to throw out there. But I want to also give you some tales of caution. I have two clients that have gone for this. Well, I'll say one client and one friend, because the one friend is, is who's on the mic with us is Bo, Bo um, we went and amended his tax return for the first time home buyer credit because he had already filed his taxes for 2008. But then they part of this new provision, which I thought was kind of unique. And maybe some of you are hearing this for the first time. But even though you bought your house in 2009, you can go back to 2008. And they'll go ahead and preemptively give you that credit, basically let you amend your tax return for 2008 and go ahead and recoup that $8,000, even though the transaction occurred in tax year 2009. I thought that was a little weird. But they're trying to get things going through, through stimulation of the economy by, by giving you this money. But we did this for Bo. We amended the tax return. But I've kind of been shocked because you hear about all the fraud and all the things going on with these credits. Um, because everybody who I, I've done it twice now, where we've applied for this credit for people with the tax software. And Bo, both of them have gotten notices from the IRS where they have ref, not refunded the money. And because they want even more clarification, they want Bo. They made Bo send in the settlement statement, which I think I thought we'd sent that originally. We we did send it originally. They wanted the um, the final settlement statement because what we did is we just sent the cover page. They wanted the final settlement statement with all party signatures, um, and they also wanted some verification. They wanted to see a copy of a, of a government issued identification with the new address. They wanted to see a recent pay stub. They wanted to see a bank statement with the new address. And what I thought was unique is that you read about all the fraud yeah. that took place with this first-time homebuyer's credit, and, and I did everything by the book, and I thought that I had, had crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's, but it's hard to get it back. And I'll tell you, I closed in the last week, or, or I amended, sent in my amended return the last week of August, and here it is, the, the first week in December, and I'm still having to kind of send them some more information. So it's not a... Not a speedy process at all, <laughs> and that's what and, you know. That, that's a perfect example because the other case, Bo, Bo helped me with it as well. Is that there's a pastor that I do some um, tax preparation work for to help him out, and he um, he actually moved into a, a house too. He hadn't owned a house in a number of years, and he bought a house. He qualified for the first time home buyer credit. He is having the exact same problem. They are asking for everything but the kitchen sink to prove. So I guess the fraud has been such a such an issue. 
that they are um, really going through everything with a fine-tooth comb and making sure you have your T's crossed and your I's dotted. They are really, really raking this thing through. So if you apply for this credit, don't, because I know a lot of real estate, I listened to a mortgage guy, uh, I played a round of golf and um, this guy, you know, it was one of those things where you're at the golf course and somebody comes up and they need, you know, they say, hey, do you have an extra room? Well, we only had three of us up there. So we're like, yeah, come on, well, he's a mortgage guy. And um, I heard him, we ran into somebody at the club, you know, at the turn of the clubhouse who was talking about buying a house. And of course he jumped into sell them a mortgage mode. And I heard him immediately. I don't think he knew what I did for a living. So I, and I didn't volunteer that I knew as much about taxes as I do, but I heard him immediately telling this person that, um, that that money is like an immediate rebate that the government sends you. So what I, I worry about with these these credits, I think they're great, you know, great opportunity for people who qualify. But what I worry about is the way the real estate marketplace is selling and mortgage brokers and elsewhere are selling these things is that it's an immediate rebate. So you can essentially go out and find and, you know, and scrap together some, some money for a down payment, um, you know, to get into this house of your dreams. And then you're going to immediately get this rebate from the government you know, like the next week or two weeks. I mean, these, you ought to have heard the way he played this thing out. And, and meanwhile, I know that that's not the case. Here's Bo, who, who, did the, who filed this amendment in August, and here we are in December, essentially going on four months now, and you still don't have the money. So anybody who takes advantage of these credits, please make sure this is not with borrowed money or money that you truly can't afford to do without for a few months because it's not money that's going to be coming back to your back pocket anytime soon. And I just want to throw that out there because I know, you know, Desperate real estate people are kind of changing the wording of that a little bit. I've watched it firsthand, um, you know, where people are making like you can get this money very quickly. Um, last thing I want to close out the show because we're already at close to 30 minutes. I can't believe we've already flown through. This is how these shows go so quickly is shopping. You know, I've already hinted at that Black Friday was so great. What I thought was awesome about Black Friday and Cyber Monday this year is that you just really saw a coordinated benefit between um, some of the online shopping tools that I know I've talked about in the past. One of them being Bing.com, which is owned by Microsoft. You know, that's that search engine that's um, competing head-to-head with Google. And the way they're trying to compete is they're buying market share. They're willing to pay you to use their search engine. And the way they're willing to pay you is with the cash back. Well, they had some incredible deals that now have since disappeared. And I just want to tell you, guys this is why you have to think like a a ninja shopper i don't know how else to put it but um you have to think you have to really put yourself out there to try to get the best deal and you have to have a process i think there's just like you have to have a plan and most things in life um you have to have that planner mentality well it's the same way about shopping you just need to always have a the the way i go through when i shop anything online if you're shopping anything online or anything that you can buy online and then pick up at the store because you a lot of times now at best buy walmart and other stores retailers like that you can buy on the internet and then go have it deliver you know have it sitting there waiting for you at the store and and you say well you know that sounds great that i don't have to go in the store but i'm telling you the other added benefit is that you can get these cash rebates paid to you through via paypal or, or, you know, other sources or college savings. If you go do this, if you're disciplined enough to do this stuff, there is free money sitting out there for you. And that's why if you'd have been, um, if you'd have been a ninja shopper or however, you know, a commando shopper, if you'd have gone to bing.com on Black Friday or Cyber Monday, any any time around that Thanksgiving period, you would have seen they had some incredible opportunities where they had, you know, like I said, HP Direct was offering 20% back on computers and other things as well as walmart was doing 15 percent off of their already super low prices that were on the internet they didn't have a lot of the early bird specials that they were making you show up in person for but some of their bundles for the for ds's and other things you know video game systems 
you could totally take advantage of those opportunities and get 15% back off those already low prices um, or, and even have a 97 cents shipping. It was incredible. So I'm telling you, the, the way you always have to approach online shopping is I always go to bing.com first, see what they have available, and then I, if there's nothing there, I always go check You Promise. Because they, if they if there's not a relationship with Bing to get cash back, at least they have usually there's a relationship with you promise for college savings for your children. And also I'll tell you another side benefit. The best I used to go to um, Deal Catcher, Coupon Mountain. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other sites I used to go to for coupon codes. You know, when you're looking, you know who has the best coupon codes, the best database of getting coupon codes is YouPromise. Whenever you type in a retailer on the YouPromise search bar, it immediately shows you all the the current active coupon codes for that retailer. I have not seen a better source of coupon codes than you promise. So even if you don't have kids, um, you might want to go try out you promise just for the straight up for the coupon codes. And then, you know, I want to draw attention to something that a listener wrote me about is after you do those two things and you go find the best price shopping via Bing or you promise to get the cash back and then seeing what you get. I then go to pricegrabber.com and I make sure it truly is a good price too because there's no, you know, just like Bo was talking about, don't let the, the tax tail wag the dog. You also don't want to let the cash back make, you know, get you to buy something at a higher price than it should be. So I would encourage you then as a the last check step, go to price grabber, make sure it is a competitive price because even though you might be getting 10, 15% back, if you're overpaying by 20% over an online retailer, why do it? So um, I, I think that if you follow those three tips consistently and you're disciplined about it, there's tons of free money sitting out there where you can feel like you truly are beating the system. And I'm always amazed at the aha wow factor when I share with these people. I think they think I'm making this stuff up. I think they think that nobody's really saving this type of money, but it really is there for you to take if you just do the legwork and get out there and, and do the research that most people are not willing to do. You can make your money go 5 to 20% further than the average person. And that's a skill. I think that's awesome when you can do that. And, uh, and I hope that that's, that's the type of knowledge it, that you can take with you and, and use and, and just make you feel like you're doing everything you can so that you can keep more of that money in your back pocket to your other goals. So you can save, so you can, you know, prepare for retirement, so you can prepare for maybe a trip or, you know, whatever you want, whatever your savings goal is, go ahead and look at year-end 2009 as an opportunity to clean up bring it around and let's start 2010 and you know and kind of reach whatever goals that you might have for yourself I always get excited year in because it just means another opportunity is coming um, I know in my household we have a lot to be thankful for for 2009 with the birth of a new child um, I think it's it's kind of a time of reflection and I just want to thank you guys for being listeners of the money guy show and I'm hoping these tips help you. And then um, please give us feedback. You know, you can write us at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. You can also register our website as either a free member or a premium member. You can go to money-guy.com. And if you register either as a free or, or premium, you're going to get a blast email every time we update show content. Because I know we're not on a systematic weekly schedule or bi-weekly schedule. So sometimes it helps if you have um, that blast email go out and go, oh, Brian's updated the show. Um, let's go sign up and, and see what we can do. So go to money-guy.com to sign up for that. Other, otherwise, I will talk to you, I don't know, in these holiday seasons, it's a little harder to, to put myself on a hard schedule because we have a lot of year in planning as well as personal things going on. So we'll hopefully be back within the next two weeks to give you some more 
saving tips that can help you stretch your dollar as well as going beyond common sense with your financial planning needs. We'll talk to you soon. I'm your host, Brian Preston, for The Money Guy Show. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. 